And I wish to those of you who are listening online, the one or two of you, I wish you could be here for the worship part because it always just goes so well with the message. But this morning, uh, this past few weeks rather have really kind of been a whirlwind for us. And God's been in it and we've been clinging to him and just trying to figure out where to go and, and what to do and where to live. And uh, so I've been uh, quite busy. And so I didn't have time or I didn't, maybe I didn't make time. I'm not going to pass myself off as an excuse, but we're going to be going back and taking a, a message out of Acts from a few years ago. And at first I was going to do something else and then I was kind of led towards this. And as I began to read it and read the scriptures, it really ministered to me. I think it's uh, in a way a good follow-up to last week's topical about the practical and the purpose of it. But this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Acts, Acts 8, 26 through 40. And the message is arise and go, arise and go. And this is from a series I did called Acts, the church on earth. We're just like, we're looking at Genesis, God and man and, and the reality of God and man, but we're seeing Acts as a way to see what the church is supposed to be like on earth and what the church was like on earth in the, begin, in the beginning of the church age. Uh, but basically Acts... Uh, is a word called praxeus, and that word was usually used for acts of great men, like kings and rulers. But I believe it's used here because of the acts of the Holy Spirit through people that God has made great. That these men were great, not because that they were great in some earthly stature. In fact, Paul would say that anything that the earth would count them as great, he counted now, after knowing Jesus, as rubbish. But these men were great, and they did great things because they knew that God was great. These were simple people, real people, and I believe effective for the kingdom, not because of their pedigree, but because of God's presence. And that shouldn't be any different for us, that the church is still on the earth, that these things were written for us, that we might have uh, an example to follow, an evidence, a purpose for our faith to see that, man, God did it through these guys. He hasn't stopped. If the work of the church on earth has stopped, it's not because God has stopped moving. It's not because the gifts are not for today. It's because perhaps we haven't been ready to receive them. Perhaps we haven't been ready to arise and go. But in this little uh, section of scripture we're going to look at, you're probably familiar with it. In fact, looking at you, my wife, I know you're familiar with it. But this time we're looking at an angel, Philip, and the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think it's uh, amazing on so many different levels, and I'm 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 probably going to do it at this service, no matter how much I study it. But have you ever felt, or heard, or been taken by the calling of God somewhere in your life? When that happened, did you know what it was for? Did you know who it was for? Did you ask for it to be big? Oh Lord, I want a big call in life. I want a ministry like Billy Graham's. Or did you care if it was only quote-unquote small? Lord, would you send me to my brother or my sister? Or to this little one in children's ministry or this little one that I'm raising as a single mom or whatever it is? But where are you right now? Right now we're in Hamilton, Montana, in Rivoli County. 
Where do you work? Where's your house? Where do you play? For me, those things are all the same spot. (laughs) But we're looking for a new house right now. Where have you been in the past? Where are you now? And where do you think you're going? What was your upbringing? What was your culture like? Did those give you all the answers you were looking for in life? Or did you find yourself at some point looking around and asking and wondering, does any of this have a meaning? These things I've been taught and told and sought after, they haven't given me purpose. They haven't given me life. And everyone else seems to have life, but they just seem to be vanity. And what's your five-year plan? I think that was perestroika. Was that what it was in the Soviet Union? This idea of having a five-year plan to carry something out. But a lot of times they ask you that when you go on a job interview. You know, So where do you see yourself in five years? I don't know. I'd hopefully see myself employed <laughs> and working hard. You know, but it's good. And not to say that's not good to have goals. It's good to have goals. But are they set in stone for you? If they don't come to happen, if they don't come to pass, what does that do to you? Because God may have something totally unexpected for you, totally different. Something insane. Something unimaginable. It was at the, I went to go see a movie the other night and uh, they're waiting for the theater to get cleaned out. And I'm first in line, you know, it's late, it's the middle of the week, it's a small town theater, so there's not a lot of people. And uh, I think he was probably the owner or one of the upper management guys was there kind of taking tickets and talking to me. And then an older couple came up behind me uh, and we were all talking and then one of the, the kids was there. But uh, we were talking about all these things. He was talking about this, the movie Avengers and telling me that it was like three and a half hours long. And we were talking about the mall and shopping and just the way things have changed. And I said, would any of us believe 20 years ago, someone told us there'd be a three and a half hour comic book movie that's number one and that no one would go to the mall anymore? (laughs) You know, no one would believe you. 20 years ago, that was not on anyone's radar, but it was right around the corner. And today we see that whatever uh, Philip had going on, God had something different for him and for an entire continent right around the corner. But God, this morning again, we just ask that you would speak through your word, feed us and give us life through the scripture and through your son and by your spirit. God, thank you that we have access to you, Father, that uh, we can come to you and pray to you. And so for the needs in our families and our friends, for those that need to be reached, God, we pray that they would hear your gospel, that they would see the vanity of the way they're living without you and uh, not be... uh, feel condemned by you, but feel condemned by their choices and their actions because that's indeed what does condemn them. God, you don't condemn them. You gave them a way out. And it's our own sin in the end that will condemn us uh, if we uh, don't turn to you and ask you to and receive you to uh, take it away from us. But you've made every way possible. So help us to seek that out and seek those out and just as you do. Uh, and to be listening to your spirit where you'd have us go. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the internet and for those who can listen. But I pray that, God, you'd reach uh, even more of the people in this area, God, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 26, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 8, and we're going to read uh, three verses to start out. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. 
and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So if you can picture this, but I don't know what Philip's doing at the time. I don't know if he's eating his lunch, if he's praying. It doesn't say, but it says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. That he heard this, he said, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this reminds me of other times in the Old Testament. John the Baptist's birth, uh, his dad is in there doing the rites of the priest, and an angel shows up and he goes, ah! And the angel tells him about his son and he doesn't believe him, so he shuts up his mouth uh, until he's born. Mary, about the, uh, Jesus' birth, Gideon, Daniel, on and on. Angels have appeared to those. I don't know that we need to wait for an angel to tell us. I believe we have the word of God to go to. But man, an angel might just show up one day to deliver a message to you. Now, if he shows up and gives you another gospel, if he says, my name is Moron, don't listen to him. If he tells you you need to do anything else but trust in Jesus and share the gospel, well, he's not an angel of light. He's an angel disguising himself as an angel of light. But this angel was sent to Philip. And Philip, I think he's the type of guy, number one, be ready to hear. The Bible says be uh, swift to hear and slow to speak. It also says when you come into the house of God, let your words be few, right? I think this is the type of guy Philip was. That he was ready to hear because I don't know that if an angel was speaking to us, we would hear them or that we would perceive them even as an angel if we did hear the words. But Philip heard. And he's the type of guy to hear things from angels. I think that's a special type of guy. Uh, maybe he'd have a TV show nowadays and try and profit from it. Uh, I don't think Philip would do that. But he doesn't think it's strange. You and I might go, Ah! I'm hearing voices! Doc, help me! Give me some medicine! But Philip goes, Oh, it's an angel. And what does he do? He goes right away. Just like Abraham, when he heard from God that morning to go sacrifice his son, he got up immediately and went, Sometimes when I'm told to do something, I don't know if I go right away. Well, I'll take the trash out later, especially in high school. Uh, yeah, I'll do it later and never do it. But this word arise, anastemi, uh, reminds me of anesthesia. Uh, it means, I'm not saying it's, it is, it just reminds me of it. It says it's to cause to rise up or to raise up, to raise up from lying down. Maybe Philip was taking a nap like Peter that day. Maybe Philip was sleeping. Maybe I don't know. He was watching TV on a Saturday afternoon and God spoke to him. But it also means to raise up from the dead. It could also mean to cause to be born, uh, lying on the ground of seated, of those who leave a place to go elsewhere, those who arise to go, to migrate, of those who prepare themselves for a journey. When you get up to go somewhere along, you know, before I go on a business trip, I'll pack the night before, the week before I'll begin to start to gather things, make sure I have my travel toothpaste and my bags for the airplane, make sure that I've got all my batteries in a bag that they can inspect and, and all these things. I rise, I get up, I take stuff out of the place I normally keep them and get ready to go. But it's also used of kings, of prophets, of priests, of leaders or insurgents, of those about to enter into a conversation or dispute. You might arise in court to get into a legal argument. Or, or business. This word go, poreo, means to lead over, to carry over, to transfer, to pursue the journey on which one has entered, or to continue on one's journey. The Bible says that we are sojourners on earth, right? 
that we are just passing through this life. And then as we go through, I don't know if you've ever taken a long trip, you realize, man, I don't really need to take that with me. Or if you took it with you halfway through the trip, you're like, why did I take 30 pairs of underwear? <laughs> you know, sometimes by the end of the trip, you're like, you're really glad you did. But other times it's like, I didn't need 14 shirts. I didn't need to bring my large screen TV with me when we were just going on vacation for a week. It was heavy. It also means to depart from life. Like actual life. You might say someone has gone over to the other side when they've died, right? But think of God's call on Abram to leave his life behind. That he went. That he went on to the other side. To follow one. To lead or to order one's life. And I think as a believer, what better way to order our life than to always be ready to go? Isaiah one eighteen says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they be, uh, shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, this reasoning, this, this going, this, this arising, is a similar context. God says, come on. Get up. Let's talk. Let's work this out. Let's have a legal argument. You've sinned, but I'm going to make it white as snow. Why would you not want that? And in fact, that's what I what this man, this Ethiopian man, read. And there's great connotations here, you know? Maybe Philip wasn't doing anything. Maybe he was. Maybe he didn't know the next step in life and was seeking God where to go or what to do. Or maybe he did, and God just interrupted his weekend. The church is being persecuted, it's scattered, and the apostles are hanging around, and, and God says to Philip, arise and go. And if you're questioning where to go, what to do, that's very good. And in that season, expect an answer. But also, if you're set in your plans and have everything figured out for the next five years, trust me, expect an interruption. Whenever I don't know where to go, and I seek the Lord, He always has an answer. Whenever I feel like I know the way I'm going and I'm settling in and the track is smooth, I always start to go, oh, something's going to happen. Something's going to change. And it does. There's been times I prayed about what to do and where to go and many people were going, but God told me to stay. Other times that many people were staying and God told me to go. Even now, we were settled in. We said we started looking at houses a couple months ago. Oh, well, when the baby comes, we'll start looking for a house. And, uh, you know, maybe later this summer, or, you know, we'll start to get prepared for these things. You know, we like where we are. It's comfortable. It's nice. It's affordable. Um, it's amazing. We love it. Then all of a sudden, we get a phone call one day. I'm really sorry to tell you this, and I hate to have to do this, but the owner wants to sell the house. So you're not kicked out yet, but at some point we'll give you have to give you 30 days notice. And you can stay as long as you want, but well, okay. You know, that's the pitfalls of renting is that I don't own the place. The other day, if they want to sell it, that's up to them and that's fine. Um, part of me is like, man, could you just wait two months? <laughs> but you know what? Somehow God has a plan in this that perhaps if he didn't force us to arise and go now, we might miss out on what he has for us. And again, I've said it to friends and family. I don't know how that works exactly eternally, but for some reason, God knew that it was time for us to get up and go, just like it was in the sense for Mary and Joseph. I'm sure they didn't want to make that journey when they were pregnant, but God had a plan. He had to get them to where they needed to be when that baby Jesus was born. And, and the Messiah is not in my wife's belly, but uh, I love that baby very much. So 
But this was an important journey. So we'll see that this journey to this one man affects an entire continent. Like I said before, that God saw this man going back home to his continent of Africa, and he saw this man who needed salvation, and he saw this man who would be a vessel of it to an entire nation. He was in the, the queen's court. He was an important man. And he gives Philip specific directions along the road. Go south and along the road. And again, with GPS, I like specific instructions. I like to know what's next. Just ask my wife. I was like, babe, what's the next to turn? What's after that? How long are we on that? Because it's not good enough for me not just to know the next turn because I need to know what the next turn is. And then if there's a quick turn after that, I need to know it. Or it just helps me to be able to see down the road a little bit uh, and not be so myopic. But God just says, go south. And it's Jerusalem to Gaza. It's this place that's wilderness. And in fact, uh, a little research shows that it had great commercial traffic with Egypt. Um, it was a desert road. Um, I'm just looking through the notes to see if there's anything important to pull out. But it was uh, the most southwest, uh, southwesterly town toward Egypt. It laid on the great route between Syria, which is up in the north, and that country. Uh, position and strength. Uh, it was a key line of communication. And in fact, this area Alexander had tried to conquer uh, and the area withstood Alexander, but it's a, a deserted place. It was an empty road, a lonely road. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever driven through the Midwest or through parts of the West, um, it can be a lonely place. You know, if you break down out there, you might not see somebody for a while. You don't have any tools. There's next rest stop, 48 miles, 68 miles. You check your gas, make sure you got the right tools. Um, and that's where this guy's going. He's, he's on this lonely road, this, this empty road, heading back um, to the kingdom, and he's reading Isaiah. But it says, So Philip arose and went, and with these simple instructions came simple obedience. We try and make it so complicated sometimes. God just says, go. I'm like, well, uh, just go. Just go. And you know what? We see some of the greatest works of God are often done through some of the simplest bits of obedience. And that's truly what makes a man great. His obedience, or a woman great, her obedience, or a child's greatness, their obedience to God. Billy Graham, Dr. Stanley, Chuck Smith, and others, an endless list that we can attest to, even our own lives, chose simple obedience, even when it was difficult, or even when it didn't make sense. And they chose it over and over and over again, Billy Graham didn't wake up one day and become the, the evangelist to the entire nation and the world and the White House and, and others. He just simply obeyed God every day. It wasn't perfect. He's certainly better than me, but it wasn't perfect. He just obeyed. And like God said to Saul and for Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. I won't go, but I'll do this. Oh, I'll, uh, I won't go today. I'll go tomorrow. When I go tomorrow, I'll bring a lot of people with me. Just go. But he's going to Ethiopia, a, a major nation in Africa. He was a eunuch, a bed guard. He guarded the women for the royalty. And he was probably castrated even at a young age before puberty. And he also oversaw the treasury. That he was a jet setter on a business trip of international trade from kingdom to kingdom, on a major route. Think about if you're on an airplane or traveling, the people you might sit next to, 
or might not sit next to you. You know, you walk through first class and you see all these people up there. You're like, are, are they up there because they got a deal on Groupon? Or are they up there because they've got a lot of money and spending more money on a ticket is nothing to them? I don't know, but one day I'll get up there. <laughs> Even if it's just for the leg room, it's like a cattle car in the back on some of those. But this is who this guy is. Picture him on one of those big jumbo jets growing across the world. And God says, Philip, get out of coach and go walk up to first class for a minute. But who, do, who is he working for? For Candace of the Ethiopians. And the word Candace could be her name, but it also could just be a title of queen. The queen, queen mother of the Ethiopians. Um, this queen may have been in history a, a woman named Amanatore. Uh, she was one of the Kush. Uh, she's number 39 on a list of the 50 greatest Africans uh, compiled by somebody. Uh, Pliny indicates that the Ethiopians had conquered ancient Syria and the Mediterranean, that this was a major nation. This was a strong nation. Sometimes we think of Africa as a third world country, uh, third world countries these days, and uh, they weren't always that way. Think of Egypt. But what potential here? What a person for God to be reaching out to. What an open door to reach an entire people group, an entire continent through one of its most major civilizations. That man, you don't think God has people in America saved to reach the whole world? It's sad that America has become what it's become, but he's put us in a time and a place where we can communicate with it and reach the whole world. And we have such wealth at our fingertips. Even if we feel poor here in America, I guarantee you have more wealth than most of the world. And we have an opportunity in history I believe the end of history to share Jesus. But he had come to worship in Jerusalem. That this man and this entourage, the state sponsored trip to another country, I'm sure there was other things there, but his goal as a person was come to worship in Jerusalem. He had heard about Jesus, he had heard about the Jewish faith, and this man who had uh, his manhood, so to speak, stripped from him as a young age, uh, his very passion, his very emotion, his very. Um, parts and ability to have a family all taken from him had desired a true God had seen that all he had and all he was was empty was castrated and he knew that he was cut off from God and he was on his trip and he wanted to go to the Jewish temple while he was there because he was seeking God he knew the God of the Bible was real but he didn't yet understand all that it meant. And I think God loves that simple faith that says, man, I don't, I don't understand the Bible. I don't even know what half of it means or what it says. I don't know up or down, left from right, but I know that God is real and I've got to find him. I've got to come to know him and I've got to know what he wants of me. And as this man is reading Isaiah, Isaiah is a mini Bible in effect. It's 66 chapters as there are 66 books in the Bible. 39 are filled with judgment on sin of Judah. 27 a message of hope, like the Old Testament and the New. Isaiah's ministry covers 40 years, four kings of Judah. And in fact, Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. And this man was looking to Isaiah. Now, Isaiah had no idea that his ministry would be used these many years later for this man in Africa. Isaiah lived his life and served God and went through a lot. And yet God was still using it. And man, imagine if Isaiah didn't go. God, here I am. Send me. He's reading the prophet. And a lot of Isaiah's scriptures 
are indeed about the coming Messiah. 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. 9.6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago, this man on a caravan headed back to Africa, it's hot, it's dusty, it's sunny, He's under a shade. He's being carried, flipping through the scriptures, reading this. Is it in Hebrew? Has he learned Hebrew? Has it been translated? Is it Septuagint? Has he understood these things? But imagine him reading this. Isaiah, I'm wondering. Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Do you think he read all of Isaiah? Do you think it was his first time reading it? But he was wounded for our transgressions, 53.5. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Do you think he was a, a eunuch by choice? Do you think he felt robbed? 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is found, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from him. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. The spirit said to Philip that he had to go to here, that Philip knew to go south. And when he got there, that's when the next instruction comes. And so often that's the way it is with God, because I think if God told us the next 10 steps, we might try and find a shortcut. And God doesn't work with shortcuts that way. Like with the woman at the well, God took the long cut to go find her. And uh, if the disciples knew of that, they might say, God, well, we don't, we don't really have to go up there. And they went. And man, the intimacy of the Spirit. Are we listening and obeying when the Spirit says, go up to that chariot? Are we sensitive to his leading? Because he's gentle, and it may just be a whisper. Do we need him to shout at us? Sometimes, man... We have to shout at our kids because they're not listening. They're not hearing. And I hate it. I wish they would just listen. I wish I could just whisper. And a lot of times they do. But man, do we listen to God? He whispers. He says, go near. Overtake the chariot. Maybe Philip was uh, an Olympic runner. Maybe they weren't going that fast. But go catch up with them. You see them? Go catch up with them. Um... And I hesitate to share a story because it's a long time ago and I don't do things like this often. I need to be more obedient and sensitive to those things. But I remember one time being in an airport and I had my headphones on. I was going for a walk during a layover. Uh, I think it was for a youth trip. And uh, I had my headphones on and I just saw this guy sitting in an aisle and I just sensed the Lord say, go talk to him. And I kept walking and I walked almost all the way back to the group and I Turned around and went back and I talked to him. I shared the gospel with him. And he was ready to receive. 
I can't explain it other than God had just, just had me out there and God said, go talk to him. Maybe that's happened more in my life or maybe it should happen more, but maybe I was just in the right place and crazy enough at that time to do it. And I'm not crazy enough. I'm crazy in the wrong ways. I need to be crazy in those right ways. But man, just like that, God was working in someone's life. And as he got close, Philip heard him reading out loud. All the crew, at least close to him, would have heard too. The guys carrying the stuff, pulling the camels, riding the camels, doing whatever, fanning this guy off in the heat. Hear him reading out loud. He has led his sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearer silent. So he opened not his mouth. Who is this he? In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Is this Isaiah? Who's he talking about? And Philip doesn't give him a message. Doesn't give him the Ten Commandments. Not that there's wrong with those things in the right time, but what he says, do you, simply, do you understand what you're reading? You know, you see someone reading a Bible. Do you understand that? I understand it a little bit, and I'd like to share it with you. Do you know the depth of what is being said here? Do you get the connotation, the application of Jesus? I love what he, the eunuch says to him. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? I know a lot of people feel this way about the scriptures, and I do too. I'm glad there's commentaries. But how can we understand something without being taught? I think a lot of us can, and we're just afraid. And the part of the ministry of teaching and preaching and pastoring is helping people see they don't need to be afraid of the scriptures. They don't need to be afraid of God, that they don't need to stay at the bottom of the mountain and just let Moses go to the top, but they too can go to the top of the mountain and spend time with God. But also, man, just to be instructed in it. There's times when I fix the car and, and I'm not afraid of it and I should be and something goes wrong. Or other times I go, man, I don't, I don't understand what to do here. And then I'll look up a video or ask a friend and, oh, is that easy? And, okay, I get it now. He says, how can someone, unless someone guides me, isn't that what Roman says? How can uh, they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they've been sent? And Philip was sent. And not everyone gets it, and that's okay. And you know, sometimes I even forget that not everyone has really heard what the Bible is saying to them. A lot of people have heard the Bible, and they've heard it wrong, they've heard it explained wrong, or they've understood it wrong. And do you think that whether this man actually prayed or not, God heard and saw his desire for answers, perhaps even his frustration, his confusion, his scratching his head? Well, God answered him. And how did he answer him? Not with an angel, but with Philip. Not with a messenger of heaven, but an ambassador and an emissary of Jesus Christ. And Philip drew near. He gets up on the chair. He climbs up with this guy, total stranger, getting in his car. And sometimes we keep the people of the world at arm's length. Sometimes we have to. Sometimes there's people in life that, man, we just can't get close to anymore. But more often than not, God wants us to draw near to them. Not to meet our needs. Not, how can you be a good friend to me? How can you help me do this or do that? But to hear what's going on with them. To see what they're reading, what they're going through. And do they need help understanding God and their situation? You know, the idea of friendship evangelism. You know, I hate putting stuff on that because then it's like, it's not really friendship then if you call it friendship evangelism. Just be someone's friend and love them. Whether they love you or not. 
But he's asking, is it Isaiah or is it Jesus? You know, it's interesting because Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And Jesus is Yahweh's salvation, right? And a lot of people proclaim their own goodness with veiled comments, good and bad. You know, that, man, I, I, I understand this. I'm fine. I pulled myself up. But you know what? Real men love Jesus in the same way real prophets speak of Jesus. That's the end of their prophecy, not their self, not their own revelations. But Jesus is the real prophet. I mean, John wrote the book of Revelation because there was a vision given to him, a prophecy of Jesus. The one who speaks the very things of God is Jesus, and that makes him, in its very definition, a prophet. He's the prophet, not Muhammad. Jesus is the prophet of God in text and in flesh and by the Spirit. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the Son of God, the salvation of God, the one who speaks to us, the Word of God. Verse 35, I believe, is a key because it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip picked up right where this guy was in the Word, right where this guy was spiritually, and he led him to Jesus. He didn't take him back to Genesis. He didn't give him some latest thing that he was talking about and learning about, something that God was showing Philip in his own life. He said, okay, this is Isaiah. This is where you're at. This is what it means. And this is who it points to. No need to try and convict the guy of his sin. He was already convicted. No need to try and convince, at least in this situation, this man of his need for Jesus. He was searching the scriptures and he wanted to know, is it Isaiah I'm supposed to believe in? Or is it Jesus? Is it someone else? Maybe he hadn't heard of Jesus yet. He went to Jerusalem to worship, right? But he brought him to Jesus right from where he was. He did it quickly, directly, simply, and accurately. Because he knew the scriptures. And do you and I know the scriptures? Have we simply obeyed just to read the Bible every day? We're not going to know it if we don't do it. And we don't need to do it. Lord, I'll spend all week and read every 66 books. Fantastic. Great. Do that. But more than that, if you just read a little bit every day, a little bit in the morning, a little bit at night, a little bit in free time, whenever you can, however little or however much, eventually you begin to know it. And sometimes we miss the boat with sharing Jesus when we try to go another route. We try and educate them. We get uh, off put by someone else or some worry or some fear or some need to correct them when, man, we just need to take them by the hand right from where God's already caught them in the net and take them out. Help them when they're confused or hurt and bring them where? Not to judgment, not to pointing fingers, but to the throne of grace. There's a time for judgment. There's a time for the Ten Commandments when they're resistive and when they're hard at heart. But man, when they're truly seeking, we don't need to go anywhere else but right to the throne of grace. I remember living somewhere and being in a, in a, a coffee, a chain coffee store and waiting for my food. And a dad was talking to his son. Son was probably 10. Uh, looking back, I think, well, perhaps in their conversation, I wonder if this was just like the father-son Sunday morning thing. Maybe the parents were divorced and they didn't have time together. But he was telling his son how to get what he wants in life and how I know how to manipulate people to get what I want. And that's a skill you should have, you know. Man. You know, if they were divorced, did that skill work with your wife? Did you get what you wanted from her? Because I was not. Uh, but sincerely, we don't need to manipulate when it comes to the gospel. We just need to be loving to lead them through what they're in and to the love of Jesus. 
not to get them to see everything the way we are, not to get them to vote the same way we do. That'll probably come in time. But man, the important thing is not to have your opinion heard, your feelings answered, the wrongs done, taken care of to you, but that you would bring them to Jesus. Because we can't save anyone, we can't force anyone, and we can't make anyone, but we can try and lead everyone. Verse 36, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way. Rejoicing. We'll stop there. It says they came to the water. Remember, they're in a desert, deserted place. I don't know what this water was like. Was it dusty? Was it dirty? Uh, you know, you drive through parts of South Dakota or Montana or Wyoming, and you'll be in the middle of wilderness, and there'll be little pools of water or in Iowa. You know, is it just rain? Is it always there? Is it just seasonal? But they're here, and along the highway, it says, Hey, what stops me from getting baptized? You've taught me all this. You've led me to Jesus. Philip's obviously taught him about baptism at this point. That's a long way. Philip gave him a lot. I don't know how long that, that sermon was, but he taught him. And immediately this man says, this is what I want. This is what I need. Can I, what's going to stop me from getting baptized? If there's something, please tell me and I'll do it. If there's something I need to change or whatever, and I just want to come to faith. I want to be baptized. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. Philip says, just believe on Jesus and you can. That's it. He goes, yes, I do. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my salvation. He's my Savior. Now, this man had been reading and seeking. God brought Philip to him to lead him to Jesus. And right away, the eunuch has this childlike faith. There's water. You just told me about baptism. Can I get in? And shouldn't that be us? Isn't that the childlike faith that Jesus wants us to have as we simply read the scripture and we're led by him to say, there's water. There's a person. There's this thing I should do in life. It's that simple. What's hindering you? What's stopping you from getting out and getting in? From getting up and going? From doing whatever it is God has led you? From living and being the church on earth? I remember being at baptism in New York. A few people would sign up to get baptized ahead of time. And that's fantastic and great and commendable. But it was also great that when people were there, they'd say, you know what? I'm not even prepared for this, but I need to get in. And one would get in with all their clothes. And another one would say, you know what? I need to do this too. And they would get in and get baptized. What hinders you? Is it <laughs> you worried about your clothes getting dirty? You're ruining those new shoes? Well, the shoes that uh, your feet bring prepared for the gospel are way more important. Do you want to get baptized? Is there water right here? You know, I'll put you in the sink and baptize you if you fit. But seriously, why not? Why not? And that's exactly what the Ethiopian did. Because he had a love for God. Because he knew that God loved him. And man, when we're in love, don't we do the craziest things? I would go to your house and you know, want to, you know, not want to leave. And I would drive real far even though I was tired or stay up real late even if I work because I was in love and I wanted to spend time with you. Um, and you were much wiser than me. Like, I have to get up. <laughs> but he has uh, his, his body altered already. 
Again, probably forcibly when he was young. He can't be intimate with anyone. He's rich. He's powerful. But you know what? None of that gets in the way of him seeing that God is real. And don't we let those things get in the way all the time? Like the rich young ruler going away sad. This rich young ruler didn't go away sad. He went away rejoicing. He's in a position of honor, but he's so sold out, so in love with Jesus, that even in this potentially dirty pond in the middle of the desert, why not? Can we? Please. And we need to be the same way. What kind of love do we have for God if we won't get up? If we say if we say we love God and we don't go, or we don't get out of our luxury cars and get wet in the wilderness for Jesus. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as his little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This man was great in his kingdom, but he's willing to lay it all down to be in God's kingdom. He knew that that was the kingdom that mattered. And will we just go? Is my understanding of the scriptures hindering me? Is there some sin in my life? But what is the only thing that can truly hinder us? Unbelief. The cross can handle all that. You don't need to know the scriptures inside out. You don't have to have a perfect life to share the gospel with someone. Because it's simple. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all you need. You mean it? Get baptized. Baptism doesn't save like we see in James and Peter, but it does take faith. It takes faith to get out and want to go from someone who's dry and fine and in your nice royal clothes to wanting to just get wet. There's, There's... Nothing rational about wanting to do that on the surface. But when you look at it through eyes of faith, you see that is the most rational thing you can do to cast it all off and jump in head first, not wait. You know, seriously, he gets dunked practically. The pool gets dirty. But this was his public witness, even in the wilderness, to all who would see. They heard the gospel. They heard the explanation. And they saw this man's life change. The guy who was in charge just got saved. You don't think that's going to affect everyone under him? How would your job change if your boss got radically saved? How would your homes change? How would your life change if you were radical enough to jump out of your comfort zone and get into uh, the real life outside the chariot? And when they came up out of the water, uh, Philip disappears. I love it that his rapture style, that he was caught up, just like we'll be caught up and man, he has to go all the way down there and he shares the gospel. And when the job is done, God takes him out of here. That man, this guy, Philip, not only a guy hears some angels, is willing to go, simply obedient, shares the gospel, a guy gets saved. But man, this guy, Philip, I think there's something a lot more to him. We, we don't see a lot of people getting caught up like this in the Bible. We see prophets getting picked up and brought by the hand of God to see things in the scripture, even brought up to heaven or shown things in heaven. Can you imagine that? You go share with someone at the rest stop, then all of a sudden... You wake up and you're somewhere else. This guy Philip, man, he had quite the life. Because he wasn't attached to it. He wasn't attached to staying there and going, oh, maybe now I can serve in Ethiopia. Or how am I going to get back? Not, not his worries. He went south in the wilderness, <laughs> didn't bring a coat, didn't bring a backpack. He was concerned about seeking first the kingdom. But wouldn't we flip? We're reading the Bible some famous 
disciple, apostle shows up, leads us to salvation, baptizes us on the side of the road, and then all of a sudden he's gone. And his wilderness, there's no place for him to hide. He's gone. What was in that water? But he says he went on his way rejoicing. It reminds me of the lepers, those who were healed physically, the women of the wells, the other who just went away. Man, God has changed my life. I'm so glad to see the gospel. And that's evidence of being salvation is that, man, you go away rejoicing. You came into church heavy, burdened. You came into your time with the Lord distraught or upset or in trouble. You go away rejoicing. The things necessarily around you haven't changed. You're still going to the same place. You're still going back to your job on Monday. But you go away rejoicing because you've been changed. And there's no going back. You know, you're going to the same place, but you're not the same person. Well, you, you and I go away rejoicing this morning. I guarantee if we spend any time with God, we will. It may not be dancing in the streets with symbols like David, but man, there might be a little more spring in your step. There might be a little more joy and hope and peace in your heart. And if not, have we sought the scriptures? Have we given God the opportunity to speak to us? There's still time, still one more verse. Verse 40 says, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. That Philip was found at Azotus. He didn't just disappear forever like some of the other guys in the Bible, but God plucked him up, said, You've done a good thing here, and stuck him in this other town. And what does he do there? Does he go to the movies? No, he goes about preaching the gospel. And this word, uh, the city's name means a stronghold. It's one of the five chief cities of the Philistines, lying between Ashkelon and Jamnia near the Mediterranean. That Man, God is now reaching the Philistines. He's reached the Africans, and now he's going to the Philistines, these people that, man, weren't they at war with Israel for all those thousands of years? God's saying, I don't want war with you. I want you to have peace with me. And that's what God would say to the world is, the world who hates God, the world who rejects God, the world who uh, lifts up those and defends the murder of babies in the womb. I don't want war with you. I want peace with you. You want to fly planes into our buildings. We don't want war with you. We want peace with you. But the way to get peace is not to capitulate. It's through the gospel. That's the only peace that's going to come. But Philip ends up in another one of these strong cities. And again, this thing that he got up, he just was told to go south, and look what he's doing now. Look at this whole missions trip that comes out of this from going to reach one guy. And I think Philip went away rejoicing too. But what a journey. You know, where did Philip think he was going? He had no idea. An angel tells him to get up and go down. <laughs> and the Spirit tells him to draw near. And Ethiopian was saved. And then the Spirit plucks Philip up to the coast and he has to walk the rest of the way to be able to share with the people there. And the Ethiopian returns to Africa and the gospel goes with him. And I think sometimes we're looking for a miracle to get us there when simply we just need to arise and go. And Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You know, the gospel has gone out, but have we gone out with it? Because the end is coming, and we're all going to be snatched up and snatched away. And I hope and pray that we've had that opportunity and taken it 
to reach that one person that God has called us to. God, we pray this morning that, God, those that you have called us to reach, whether it's Monday morning, Friday afternoon, or uh, whenever it is in life, that, God, whether it's in another state, another place, and we have no idea how we're going to get there, God, that you would just uh, help us just to get up and go, and you'll take care of the rest. So, God, please take care of the rest. Take care of our families. Take care of our friends, our coworkers. And, God, uh, please, as you give opportunity, help us be obedient to share the gospel with them. In Jesus' name. Amen.